Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moasasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. Today we are joined by Dr. Shazad Mustafa, a board-certified allergist in the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Rochester Regional Health System and Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine and Clerkship Director in Allergy and Clinical Immunology at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in Rochester, New York. Dr. Mustafa also serves as FACS Medical Advisory Board Chair. Thank you for joining us for part two of Understanding COVID-19 with Dr. Shazad Mustafa. I hope you'll be as inspired as I am with his words of inspiration and hope. So now what about people with food allergies? Does COVID-19 actually create complications? Does food allergies impact this condition at all? Yeah, so COVID-19 and food allergies don't really interact in a medical way. About three to 6% of the U.S. population has food allergies and their risk of acquiring COVID-19 is no different than baseline, and they have no higher risk of complications from COVID-19. With that being said, in a social setting, um, there may be some considerations right now. Um, Folks obviously um, need to be more cognizant. Restaurants are closed in more than half of the country, right? So there's a lot of people ordering takeout or doing no-touch curbside delivery or home delivery. So individuals with food allergies need to be a little more cognizant about where they're ordering food from, of course, you know, informing individuals of their food allergy. Um, but the general management is not significantly different. Certainly, you should have all medications for any health condition stocked up at home. Certainly have epinephrine available too. So I don't think there's any significant change for our families with food allergy, including little ones, infants who are advancing their diet. I don't think our current pandemic should change how we introduce food into the infant diet. I don't think we should be delaying the introduction of highly allergenic foods, you know, let kids eat. It's kind of uh, the paradigm right now. And you should continue doing that if you have infants at home who are starting to eat solid food. So no significant change medically. Um, some social considerations that we want to be cognizant of. Um, certainly have epinephrine available. Thank you, Dr. Mustafa. You're shedding so much light. I really appreciate this. And I'm sure the listeners are really going to appreciate this too. So another question for you, how are allergists handling um, environmental allergy shots, SLIT, and even OIT? If you can give us a little update on that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this has been a game changer for really all physicians in the U.S., especially outpatient practices, which includes allergy uh, offices. So there is an absolutely fantastic document that was released in conjunction from the American Academy of Asthma Allergy Immunology and the American College of Asthma Allergy uh, and Immunology. A fantastic document from an expert group. It is mostly expert opinion because the science, you know, it's recommendations of what to do in this very difficult situation. So in general, what all outpatient offices, including allergy offices and our office has done 
to try to minimize non-essential patient contact, right? Social distancing. So in our office, we've turned about 90% of our office visits into either phone visits or telemedicine visits. And telemedicine it has a bunch of forms historically, which are not good enough for medical care because they're not fully secure and they're not fully um, HIPAA compliant patient privacy. But given these amazing circumstances right now, the government has loosened those criteria. So most offices are able to use third-party vendors that we are all familiar with, Skype, FaceTime, Doxy.com, to provide uh, um, virtual care to our patients from home. Of course, it's not perfect, but we've been doing this for two weeks now in our office, and it's amazing. The vast majority of medicine is still practiced by talking to your patients, and we really have been able to provide what I think is uh, very, very reasonable, albeit imperfect care to our patients through these different um, medium. So for immunotherapy, again, this isn't discussed in that consensus guideline, which is extraordinarily well done. I don't know how they put together such a great document at such short notice. Um, I commend all of the authors. Um, but for immunotherapy, you know, if this was a one or two week thing, I think we could easily stop it and then revisit it. But we don't know how long this is going to go on. And that does become a problem for allergy shots, especially if you have severe asthma triggered by allergies or allergy to stinging insects and bees, which are going to be, you know, acting up here. So it's left to be decided by the individual allergist. But the recommendation was if you are to continue allergy shots for certain high risk populations, do it in a, again, way where you respect socially, social distancing. In our office, we used to have drop-in hours. People come in, they get their allergy shot, they wait in the waiting room. And as you, as you can imagine, after school, it was busy. The waiting room was busy. We have changed our drop-in hours. We've cut back. We are still doing limited allergy shots, uh, but you have to make an appointment and no one is, being, is waiting in the waiting room. Everyone is being taken care of in an exam room. So we do think we are providing allergy shots for environmental allergies, venom, um, in a appropriate socially distanced way that is still providing adequate care. The document said, um, and again, I agree with this, at this moment right now, it's probably not worthwhile um, to start immunotherapy. If you're not on shots yet and you were planning on starting, maybe hold off until things settle down. And I tend to agree with that. Where that really plays a role is we have new FDA approved oral immunotherapy for peanut, palforzia, which was FDA approved last year and became commercially available on, I think on March 23rd, um, just this last week. So our office, as other offices, was excited about this new therapy for peanut allergic individuals. And we were planning on initiating it um, this past week. And for now, given the COVID-19 pandemic, and social distancing and minimizing non-essential visits and the general recommendation to not initiate immunotherapy, we have put on hold starting FDA approved peanut oral immunotherapy in our office. Now, of course, if you were already on oral immunotherapy for peanut or any other food, you must continue it. And I encourage you to work with your allergist to do that in a safe way. Uh, but initiating it, I think it may be most prudent to hold off until things settle down. So that's how our office has addressed it. I think I can 
thank our patients for being very flexible and understanding during these difficult times. Nothing we're doing is perfect. Everything's imperfect. We're trying to do everything with um, the right balance of um, taking care of individuals, but in a safe way, given um, COVID-19. And I'm pretty proud of how the allergy community has responded as a whole and physicians. Uh, we've transitioned very quickly from taking care of patients in the office to doing it virtually through different platforms. Well, thank you. That really gives me hope. I have to say I was firstly a little nervous about, you know, how are the allergists going to continue? But this is really nice. And, and it really just speaks to the passion that you have for medicine and patients and that everyone's been working together just to find solutions. So thank you for being on that side. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think these very, very scary times actually give us some opportunities and opportunities to learn how to do things better, opportunities to band together and work with our colleagues and come up with some great ideas. And I, I do think some of that stuff has come to fruition during these you know, very difficult times. How do we know which resources are good, which are you know, not? Do we listen to the media outlets? If you can give us some opinion on that. Yeah, so this is obviously my opinion. Um, I think this is a very difficult situation in general. And what makes me uh, what makes it particularly difficult for me and can be disorienting at time is not just the volume of information that's coming at us, but how quickly it's changing. Right when I wrap my head around some information today, it's old news 24 to 48 hours later and we're doing things differently. So there are certainly good resources out there and I encourage individuals who are interested in this and following resources like the CDC, the World Health Organization. These are excellent resources that are have excellent information on COVID-19 um, on all their websites. Their experts are out there. I think Anthony Fauci from the uh, NIAI has become kind of a national spokesperson. He's a credible source. He's a scientist. Um, and I think listening to folks like him is very important. Um, let the science guide the information. So I think those are good resources. My personal opinion is, like I said, this is hard. Um, folks are homebound, we're doing less socially. There is a deluge of information that starts when you wake up and your iPhone is buzzing to the time you go to bed. I think consuming this information all day long can be very, very mentally taxing and exhausting. Um, and it's certainly very easy to do that with all the ways we have of consuming information. I personally would encourage individuals to try to consume this information in one or two settings a day. Maybe wake up in the morning, read some headlines. Uh, maybe in the evening, sit down and go through, you know, your news feed or what have you. Turn on the news. Um, I think that this is just personally that really does help folks cope. And then it, otherwise, getting away from it, spending time with your family, going for a walk outside, exercising, doing other things to maintain some semblance of normalcy or routine. Um, but I do think trying to confine the information to one or two settings a day, um, I think helps most people cope with just a barrage of information that's coming. And there is a lot of, you know, unpleasant information, bad outcomes that we're hearing about. Um, I do think it's nice to mix in some stories of optimism and some potential signs that things might be heading in the right direction. Those are out there. I mean, the last couple of weeks have been full of um, bad projections and bad things happening. I've certainly been a part of that. But amongst that, there are stories of amazing will and amazingly good outcomes and reasons for optimism in this uh, as the country really bands together. So try to mix some of those into 
um, try to even it out. Thank you, Dr. Mustafa. I love your optimism. You give me a lot of hope and I'm sure our listeners will feel that too. So on that note, do you have any parting words of wisdom? I, I wish I had some parting words of wisdom. I could use them myself. Um, I, I think, you know, we're all living through something we didn't really expect. Pandemics happen. Um, I really do believe we'll look back in this, at, uh, you know, at 50, 100 years from now and be like, wow, we lived through a historical event. I think it's okay, to be honest. Um, I think it's okay to say this is difficult. Um, I do think it's difficult. There's, you know, people out there saying people go to battle for their country. All we're asking you to do is sit on the couch at home. Just do it. I think that's easier said than done. People have jobs, bills to pay. Um, I understand that. So I think it's okay to say this is hard. Um, it's hard to be home. It's hard for my kids not to go to school and play with friends and have activities. I think it's okay to be frustrated and angry and sad and have a huge range of emotions. But at the end of the day, I also think, and I do come from a place of optimism, that I see in our community and other communities and what I've heard, there's a lot of people banding together and doing the things that we need to do for social distancing to help our healthcare providers and our local community, the amount of donations we've had in our system um, for masks and homemade um, personal protective equipment and all sorts of things is really, really heartwarming. Um, so this is hard. I think it's okay to say that. Um, I think if we do this right as a community, there are reasons for optimism. And I do think there will be bad outcomes. We will lose many more lives than we wish to, of course. But I think we can certainly affect the outcome of this pandemic and hope to somewhat minimize it. If we follow the science, if we do what our public uh, officials are asking us to do, um, it's not gonna end tomorrow. It's not gonna end potentially the next week, but hopefully we can minimize the impact and get past this and maybe looking back one day, you know, learn from it and take away some good from this very, very unpleasant, unprecedented situation. So I think there's room for optimism. I certainly think there's room for range of emotions. I live them every day. Um, I go from frustration to anger to feeling extraordinarily lucky. And I think that's okay. And I don't think we should feel guilty for those emotions. But if we do what's right for us, our neighbors, the most vulnerable in society, um, I think we can get through this as a community and I fully expect us to. Thank you for letting me share some of my thoughts. I think there's a lot of folks who know more about this. Get out there and read some good resources if it helps you. Um, but we will get through this. And thanks for having me be a part of this this morning. Thank you, Dr. Mustafa, for joining us here on Facts Roundtable podcast. We appreciate your time, wisdom, and sincere thoughts and opinions. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to connect with us on social media. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.